As we journey through the scriptures, we find ourselves in Judges chapter 7 this morning. We're looking at Gideon. Gideon has wanted confirmation from God of his commands to him. And Gideon says, please, Lord, make my sheepskin, make my fleece wet and the ground dry. And God does this. Then Gideon asks, okay, Lord, make the ground wet and my fleece dry, vice versa. And the Lord does that. And Gideon goes back. He now is encouraged by the Lord. And he blows the ram's horn, the trumpet, and 32,000 of his fellow tribesmen the Aberzites, some men from the tribe of Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they gather to Gideon. Gideon now has 32,000 warriors. Well, they're not exactly warriors. He's got 32,000 men who have left the, their herds and their, uh, their sheep and that kind of thing, and they've gathered to him. But that's too many for the Lord to use, 32,000, because there's only 135,000 Midianites. That's a four to one ratio against Gideon. But God's about to reduce his numbers, and that ratio is going to go up to 450 to one. So let's read Judges chapter 7, 1 through 3. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped besides the well at Herod. So that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are, who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. Gideon has God tell him, Your army is too large. There's too many men. Send the fearful home. Those that are afraid... Release them, Gideon, and 22,000 immediately leave and go home. Now, God in his word, it's a clear teaching that without faith, it is hard to please him. How hard is it to please him? It's impossible to please him without faith. Not difficult, impossible. And we, as Christians... We have a tendency to shy away from faith, walking by faith, because faith can be contrary to our logic. It can be uncomfortable for us in our way of thinking. In Galatians we read, exercising of faith is an act of love towards God. Exercising faith pleases God, and he looks upon it 
as us being obedient and loving to him. Now, in today's world, insurance companies are the one of the biggest money-making enterprises in the world. And insurance companies promote, feed on our insecurities. They even pass laws that you cannot drive a car legally without insurance. And we read here in verse 2, Gideon, you've got too many men. And don't miss God's point here. God has a principle in it for all his people. And in this case, Israel, you will claim glory for yourself against me if I deliver the Midianites into your hands and only 10,000 of you. You're going to take glory for what I'm doing, Israel. And you're going to say, by our own hand, we have saved ourselves. Now, that's foolish, but that's the way we think. Unbelievers, it's bad for them to say in their ignorance, we prevail by our own power. For a believer to say that same thing, it is prideful. For us to say we have prevailed in our quest, in our efforts, is to say we have prevailed against God. For us to fight our battles in our own strength is nothing more than pride. What we consider practical behavior or thinking many times is simply pride. What does God say of pride? He says he even hates a prideful look. All right, we're here in the South, and one of the greatest demonstrations of pride is done in football. And we call it end zone celebrations. If you've watched football, you know what I'm talking about. Acting like you're Superman because you scored a touchdown. Or you're some comic book hero because you scored uh, three points or a touchdown, six points. And it can be disturbing if you watch a football game and to see the, all the celebration that goes on. So God tells Gideon, be careful not to claim glory for yourself, Gideon, because it's an offense to me, your God. Especially when I have saved you by my own righteous, powerful right hand. Don't claim victory, Gideon. So let's look at verses 4 through 8. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, 
You shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and he retained the, those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Gideon is reduced down to 1,000 men, but that's still too many for the Lord to use. The Lord doesn't want to use 10,000, so God reduces it down. The Lord tells Gideon, take the men down to a stream, to a water, a creek, and the way they drink water will determine whom I have chosen. The one who puts their faces down into the water to drink, they're eliminated. And those who bring water up to their mouth by their hand, these men are on guard and they're the ones that I will use. Now, recently, I put a submergible pump in my water well to water my cows because we're in the middle of a drought where you city folks realize it or not, we're in the middle of a drought. And I have a 100-gallon water tank for seven cows. But it's hot and it's dry. My little creek is getting low, so I fill up the cow's water trough 100 gallons. Next day, the water is completely gone. So I refill the tank. Same, same. Next day, 100 gallons gone. Those seven cows are drinking over 14 gallons of water a day per cow. That's a lot of water. <laughs> but a cow, they do not lap like a dog. They vacuum water. You can visibly see that water trough water go down as a cow drinks water. I said, my goodness, how do you do that? It's just, <gasps> you just see the belly go bigger. But anyway, back to Gideon. <laughs> God tells Gideon, the 300 men who drink from their hand, that's your army, Gideon. Now the odds, like I said, are reduced down. It went from... Uh, 40 to 1 to 450 to 1. 450 Midianites, one Israeli. Verse 7, Gideon, by these 300 men who lapped water, I'm going to save Israel. And Gideon, obedient to God, he dismisses 9,700 of the 10,000 that he still had. So let's look at verses 9 through 15. And it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And you shall hear what they will say, and afterwards your 
hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Malachites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come there, a man was telling a dream to his companion. And he said, I have had a dream. And to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. And it came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned. And the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Or in other words, we're in big trouble. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. God tells Gideon, go down to the camp of the Midianites and take your servant, take poorer with you, and I will show you how I am already working on your behalf. Gideon sneaks down to the camp of Midian and he hears an enemy soldier sharing his dream and his companion is interpreting the dream. Your dream is the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. God has delivered all of Midian into his hand. And when Gideon and Pura heard these words, that God is using a dream of a Midianite soldier in its interpretation, Gideon worships. Worship takes on many forms. Worship is giving honor to God, and that is good worship. Not all worship goes on is to God, however. Mankind is prone to worship idols. And what is an idol? Anything that takes the place of God is an idol. When mankind worships, he separates himself from the animal kingdom. Animals don't worship. For man to worship, he is to consciously take a position of less than whatever he is worshiping. He takes the lower position. We have what we call a praise and worship team. Myself, having absolutely no musical talents, I appreciate our worship team. <laughs> our praise and worship songs give us a physical way to demonstrate and honor God. However, our prayers and our study of God's Word is also what we call a worship service. Gideon he is hiding near the tent, near the camp of a Midianite, and he hears the man tell of his dream. And then another man gives what he thinks is the interpretation, and Gideon worships. 
He's hiding, but he worships. Worship for Gideon is a heartfelt time of realizing God in his goodness and protection over him and over Israel. Do we worship? Do you worship apart from coming together on Sunday morning? You ever have a near miss accident? You worship. <laughs> That's a good time to worship, is to give God honor for saving your life. You got that job you've been seeking? A time to worship. You received a promotion at work? Worship. Any time you realize that God is for you is a time to worship. Just take a moment, give him thanks, give him honor for his goodness to you. And Gideon, God lets him go down to this camp of the Midianites to bless him, to encourage him. And he hears his enemy and how his enemy is already set up for defeat. So Gideon worships. As we go through our day, grabbing a moment of reality here and again, let those moments, let them have an effect on you. Worship. It's a little oasis that God gives us through our day, through our week. A little time of refreshment for our soul. We get to worship. Sometimes when I'm in the back before coming up here to give a sermon or whatever, and I'm waiting, and the words of a song, like we had this morning, Give Me Jesus, I'm fearful of dr dropping into two heavy of worship that I'll forget where I'm at and what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> you got to go up there, Don, and say something. So we can worship, and God wants our worship. Gideon's there in the camp of the enemy, but he is in worship. Giving honor to God for his goodness. Let me read you a couple verses from John chapter 4. I'll read you two verses. John 4, 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Notice, God the Father is seeking worship from us, his people. And the worship has a requirement. It's got to be in the spirit and in truth. So we have guidelines to worship. It's got to be truthful. It's got to be in his spirit. One of the ways we recognize Jesus as being fully God, Jesus receives worship. He received worship from people, uh, and in the verses we just read, 
That happened to be a Samaritan woman that Jesus is telling, you've got to worship in spirit and in truth. In the book of Revelation, John falls down to worship an angel, and that angel quickly rebukes him. Telling John, worship is for God alone, and don't be worshiping us angels. An angel is simply a messenger of God, of Jesus. Now, there are churches around us who worship in error. It's the only way you can say it. You have to be honest here. And they worship angels. They worship Mary. And they worship the saints. John is commanded not to worship angels. Now, angel is mighty in appearance, mighty in authority. But why would a church resort to that type of worship? Several times in the book of Revelation, John is commanded, worship God only. Let me read one of those verses, and that's Revelation 19.10. And I fell at the feet of him to worship, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. John is told plainly by this angel, do not worship me, worship God. And it's important who we worship. Satan, he has an agenda. He desperately, desperately desires the worship of God's creation. That's you and I. He wants our worship desperately. Satan even tempted Jesus to worship him in the 40 days uh, when he was tempted. And by worshiping Satan, Jesus could have avoided the cross. And don't ever think that it wasn't a temptation because Jesus himself says he despised the cross. And Satan's trying to work a way for him to avoid the cross. In Luke 4, 5 through 8, Satan is tempting Jesus, and the second temptation is, Jesus, worship me. Let me read you Luke 4, 5 through 8. Then the devil, taking him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In a moment of time, Satan was able to show Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, past, present, and future. And he does this in a moment of time. Satan tells Jesus, all the authority and glory of these kingdoms I give to you, I can give to whomever I desire, 
If you will worship me, Jesus, they are yours. Just bow down before me, and all this glory will come upon you. Jesus was tempted. Temptation is not a sin. Succumbing to temptation is the sin. Notice Jesus could have turned Satan into a burnout stump right there on that spot. But Jesus uses scripture to rebuke Satan. And he says, For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Worship has the responsibility of serving. So we worship God. Then we're supposed to go out and serve God whom we worship. Therefore, we're about to sing a closing song. As we sing our closing song, let your heart worship and then go forth and serve the one we worship. Amen? Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, we are blessed to know the truth of you. You have given us your word. You have told us we're to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we want to do that, Lord. And we need to be led of your spirit to enter into true worship. So, Lord, receive our prayers. Receive our songs. Receive our study of your word, Lord. Guide us, direct us into true worship, just like you led Gideon, Lord. You led Gideon to the enemy camp so he could worship, so he could see your faithfulness, so he could see your power. Help us by your spirit to recognize your authority and how powerful you are and how you love us so much you've called us to yourself. Help us to see that, Lord. And give us a heart that's quick to worship. And then, Lord, allow us to put a little shoe leather to our worship. Let us go out and serve you with our whole heart. Be with us, Lord, to do this. We pray and ask for this in your name, Jesus. Amen.